We are going to jump right back into the book of Ecclesiastes today. We are in chapter 7, um, and so that's where we are. A uh, quick recap. The book of Ecclesiastes is about a man who tried it all, did it all, looking for meaning, value, purpose in life. And he had the money and the time and the resources to chase down absolutely everything. We've seen him chase down wealth and knowledge and notoriety and possessions, all of these things that the world says, this is what you need to be happy, to be fulfilled in life. And what he says is most of the stuff that the world promises is vapor, it's smoke, it's a mist. You can't get your hands around it. It's elusive. It's not going to satisfy you the way that you thought it was going to. And the author of Ecclesiastes is a man who goes by the title, The Preacher. And the preacher was a king in the nation of Israel. Most likely, it could have very well been Solomon, who was the wisest and one of the most wealthy kings in all of Israel that's ever been known. And at the very least, he's very Solomon-like in his approach to things. And today, in chapter 7, it's a bit of a different chapter. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's laid out a little differently. So the Bible is 66 books. It's a library. And of those 66 books, there's different genres of, uh, of reading. There's things like history. There's things like uh, poetry, wisdom literature. There are letters that are instructional for us. There's biographies. There's all these things that, these different categories within the Bible. And Ecclesiastes falls under what's called wisdom literature. It's there to give us wisdom. And so sometimes in wisdom literature, they use things like hyperbole, which is to take something and exaggerate it to make, it a, to make a point. Like when someone says to you, I've told you a thousand times. Like, did they actually tell you a thousand times? Maybe. But most of the time what we're saying is, I've tried to tell you a lot of times, right? So that's, that's hyperbole. They use things to make a point. Sometimes it's poetic in language. It's not always linear, and it's designed to give you wisdom, and so today does not break up neatly into three parts. So if you're a note taker today, stretch, buckle up, right? Okay, there's lots to go through today. It's not going to be linear. It's not like a, a logical progression of thought like our Western minds like to do, right? And so this might be a little bit different for you this morning. And we're not going to linger long on all of these uh, all of these different verses, but what I do encourage for you today is that you go home today, tomorrow, and through the rest of the week, take some time, go through the book of, or go through Ecclesiastes chapter seven. Just look at the wisdom that is there, because the preacher is about to just drop a bunch of wisdom on us. If you ever wanted to go up to an old person and say, "Just tell me things so I can live wiser," that's what Ecclesiastes seven is. Okay, so it is him just downloading a bunch of wisdom on this. And so I'm going to read this, but I encourage you to go back and reread this throughout the week and say, hey, God, what would you have for me? So this is going to be, if you have the Bibles that you're using in front of you, um, that's page 521. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. Please take that with you on your way out today. We want you to have the word of God. So I'm going to read all of chapter seven, and then we're going to walk through it. Here we go. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. 
The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the, house of fools, or the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It's better for a man to hear a rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning and the patient in, his, in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what God has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. God gives strength to the wise more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is a, not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest, your heart, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, be, be it, uh, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness of, that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, that is what I have found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See this also I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Now there's a lot there, and I'm guessing that as you were looking at it, there were some things that jumped out to you, some things that confused you, some things may have even offended you. And so we're going to walk through these things and see what exactly the preacher is trying to tell us. And the central theme of today's message is God speaks to all of life and the wise person listens. God speaks to all of life and the wise person listens. When I started reading the Bible for myself, I was about 19 years old, late, late teens, early into my 20s. And one of the things is I grew up going to church and I heard some of the stories in the Bible, but I didn't ever read the Bible. And what I found out when I read the Bible is that how much God speaks to all of life. It blew my mind that God would speak to all of these things and that he had wise things to say in the middle of it. God spoke to my anxiety, my troubles with my friends and family, how I spent my time, how I spent my money, 
what kind of woman I should look for when I date or when I'm going to marry, what I should do with people I disagree with, how should I deal with my enemies, how should I view the government, how should I live honorably. All of these things are in the scriptures and they're in the Bible. They're right in front of you. It's amazing that God speaks to all of those things. I would encourage you to read it. And that's why we go through the Bible here at this church, because there's so much that God has to say for us that is for our benefit. And today what we're going to see is that there's a difference between wisdom and folly. This is what the, these are all these sayings are really laying out wise living and foolish living. Now, when, I, when you think of folly, it's not a word that we use very often. And so um, what happens is, is it kind of loses its meaning. A fool is someone who disregards sound advice to their own destruction and the harm of others. That's what a fool is. A fool is someone who disregards sound advice to their own destruction and the harm of others. Now, what you're going to find is that there are fools who are very well-educated, wealthy, and have a not, lot of notoriety and are esteemed in culture. That, that, there may be somebody who's like that, who is a fool. Often we think, oh, well, a fool is someone who's silly or who lacks education, and that's not always the case. There are people who lack education who are fools, but there are also people who are highly educated that are fools because they're disregarding sound advice. They're disregarding the ways of God to their own destruction. And what happens is, is they, in their foolishness, they end up hurting the people around them as well. And so there's this contrast between wise and foolish living. And we see that in the wisdom literature a lot through Proverbs and, and Ecclesiastes. And so we're going to walk through this, this contrast and we're just going to let the Bible do what the Bible does. Make us wise if we're listening. So verse one, a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death and the day of birth. A good name is better than precious ointment. Ain't that the truth, right? Can I get an amen? Right, you're like, yeah, amen, right? Precious ointment, <laughs> like not something we talk about a lot, um, but precious ointment, what it was is, is it was the, the, the purest of the, of the uh, oils and those kinds of things that they were put into a, a vase and they were aromatic, they were fragrant, they used it for burial, they used it for celebrating, they used it for weddings, they used it for all these things. It was very precious, but it was also very expensive. And so what he's saying is this, it's better for you to have high character over a high standard of living. Your good name, your high character is more valuable than a high standard of living. It is better, a good name is better than precious ointments. And it says, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. Why is that? Like maybe you've been around uh, when a baby's born or in a baby shower when a newborn is there and they're, they're this little thing and you're like holding it because you're like, do I pull them in? I don't know. Guys don't know how to hold babies. We have to be taught. Um, so you're holding this baby, right? And you're like looking at them and you're like, what is their life going to be like? What are they going to do in the world? What decisions are they going to make? What are they going to do when they grow up? Right? right? Babies are full of potential. And you sit and you wonder and you marvel at these babies. And as you're thinking, they spit up on you and you're like, okay. Um, right? But... If the day of birth has all these questions, right? What are they going to be? What are they going to become? What are they going to do? The day of death has all the answers. What was their life? What was their legacy? What did they do? What impact did they make in the world? 
And maybe you've been to a funeral before where people stood up and told the stories of the deceased and you hear about their life and you're like, wow, I, I, want, I, want, my, I want the rest of my life to look like that. And it's inspiring. The day of death is actually better for us because it inspires us to live with the end in mind. Verses three and four, sorrow is better than laughter for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. What? Um, that's an interesting saying. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Sorrow is better than laughter. Sorrow is better than laughter. There is much that, the, that we can be taught in mourning, in grieving. Only a fool avoids seriousness. Only a fool avoids talking about the deep things of life and just fills their life with surface level things. The preacher is not saying that we should never be happy, right? The rest of Ecclesiastes showed us that there's a time for happiness and there's a time to be content and joyful. But what he is saying is there's something about death and mourning and grief that produces something in us that cannot be produced anywhere else in anything else. There's something unique about grieving Right? There's something unique about mourning that, that produces a depth of our soul and a shaping of our character. Mourning helps us take stock of our lives. I'm going to share with you a little pastor secret. Okay, You like pastors have secrets? Here's a little pastor secret. Most pastors, if given the choice... Would I officiate a wedding or would I officiate a funeral? Most pastors would choose funeral. If you ask them, like, like every pastor that I know, and I know a lot, um, would say, would you rather officiate a wedding or a funeral? And they said, oh, a funeral. And here's why. Because people at a funeral are ready to listen. We have a burden that people know about God. And, and, and listen, we love weddings. I love officiating weddings. It's super fun to do a wedding. I really enjoy it. But I tell you what, to preach at a funeral, that's when you have everybody's attention, right? At a wedding, people are like, oh, I've heard that verse before. Oh, how long is the pastor going to preach? And you got people around with phones going, I want that at my wedding. I want that at my wedding. I don't want this at my wedding. Look at this centerpiece. This is really, like, you, you got all this distraction around you about making this day this huge thing and going, but God is the one who created marriage and let's point to Jesus. And, and even if couples want to do that, people are distracted along the way. A funeral's not that way. You don't have people around like taking photos going, I want that at my funeral. I want that at my funeral. Did you see what he's wearing? Right? No one does that. Why? Because we're taking stock of our life. In the house of mourning, people are ready to listen to what God has to say. And weddings just don't create the same readiness. But it does help us to live with the end in mind. It says, sadness of face makes the heart glad. Have you ever cried? Have you ever cried hard? Have you ever ugly cried? Like, you know what I'm talking Like, really, really hard? Have you ever cried because of the loss of something or someone? Where the heart and your face are like, you're, you're, you just hurt so bad that the tears come out 
because you've lost something precious. And at the end of your ugly, crying, deep, sobbing moment, there's a relief and there's, there's almost a gladness and sometimes even a smile that comes after that because the only reason why you're crying hard is because you've loved deeply. Sadness of face makes the heart glad. Like I've loved well. Verses five and six, five through uh, five and six. It's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Let's just let that sink in for a second. It's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. Do you have people in your life who can challenge you? Who can raise the bar? Who can point out the flaws? Who can say, you know what? What you're doing isn't consistent with the way that you want to go. Or are you just surrounded by people who tell you you're awesome? And that you're amazing? And that you're a 10? And that everything that you do is fantastic? Do you have everybody? If everybody in your life is just nothing but that, that's foolishness. It's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than people who are not showing you what is going on in your life. The song of fools. And then this beautiful, vivid imagery. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. Thorns are good for nothing. Right? Like we, we, if, you, if you garden, you want them out. And in the Bible, thorns are good for nothing. The only thing that they are good for, apparently, is kindling, right? You just burn it. And it says the, 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 the laughter of fools is like thorns under a pot. And what it's saying is the crackling thorns is the laughter of fools, that, there's, that they are being destroyed. They're burning up. The laughter of fools is they are destroying and they're encouraging your destruction. See, fools love company, and as they're being destroyed, as in their foolish living, as they're living recklessly, they're like, come join us, it's awesome. <laughs> and it's just crackling of thorns under a pot. That fools will invite you into their folly, but it's to your own destruction. Verses seven through nine, surely oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of the thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not be quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. These three verses have three things to avoid. The first thing is greed. We talked about that a little bit more in depth last week, but it says, oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart. Even if, you're, even if you're living uprightly, even if you're living righteously and your heart is inclined towards God, you start to take in bribes and you start to um, see how much oppression and manipulation can give you power and authority. If you continue to let that take root in your heart, it twists your heart. That greed will drive you to madness and bribery will corrupt your heart. Do not be greedy. Better is the end of the thing than its beginning and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. This is a warning against rash judgments. 
You ever jump to conclusions on something? You ever got there and go, oh, I know where this is going, and you find out that it's not where it went, but you were, you were so assured in your mind that it was going to go this way, but it went that way? And then you kind of look foolish because you said these things and done these things and made these big rash judgments. You ever misjudge someone or a situation? And then you jumped and you went headlong into it and then you kind of look foolish because you were putting the cart before the horse? And anger it says, be not quick in your spirit to become angry for anger lodges in the heart of fools. It lodges, it makes its home, set up a cabin in your heart. Think of a time in your life that you regret, okay? Something that you're like, oh, I wish I, wish I would have handled that different, okay? I wish I would have handled that differently. And think about how you handled it. And let me ask you, did it have something to do with greed, jumping to conclusions, or unbridled anger? Probably, right? The vast majority of problems that we have and the regrets that we have is because we we were trying to manipulate something and we got greedy. We jumped to conclusions or we were letting anger rule the day. It's a warning against that. 10 through 12, say not, why were the former things better? Why were the former days better than these? Like where are the good old days, right? The good old days. For it's not from wisdom that you asked this. You ever asked that question? Where's the good old days? Do you guys remember the 90s? They were awesome. Some of you don't, right? Some of you here have no idea what the 90s were. But you're wearing their clothes now. Um, <laughs> right? Like, it's, like, you look back on those days. You may look back on your high school days. You may look back on your college days. You may look at, back at your young married days or your young professional days or whatever it is. You look back on those things. And here's what happens to the human mind. This is something that we do. We tend to accentuate the really good things while diminishing or burying the bad things. Right? You go, oh, college was amazing. Really, was it? Like, the whole time? Like, I went through it. I endured it right? Like there's, there's high moments, but there's also very, very low moments. And what happens is, is we look back and we go, that's the day when, when God did something in my life, or that's the day that was really good. And I really want to live back here. I don't want to live right here. And he says, it's not from wisdom that you're asking that. Because even, let's just say, for instance, let's just say things back here were better than they are today. Let's just say that's true. Okay. If things were better back here than they are today, but let me ask you this, is God not here today? Is God not with us today? In this moment, in this place, was God with you back here? Maybe, yeah, there's, there's a good chance that he was, right? There's, there's things that God was there and he gave you things and you have some things in your, in your past that you're like, man, those were the good old days, but God is here today and God has you here today. God has you in this life, in this place, in this spot of history to do something today. God didn't, this didn't take God by surprise and go, man, I really wish you were living back in the 90s. I was doing so much better back then. God's got you here right now to do a work right now. And God is calling you to trust him today. And it says, wisdom is a good inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is the wisdom preserving the life of him who has it. 
verses 11 and 12. Wisdom is that buffer that you have that will help keep you safe. Do you have like a savings account or did you have a moment where you ran into financial problems or some hiccup or some breakdown or some repair that needed to have, but you had the money to fix it? And you go, you might not have liked it, but man, it was really nice to have that emergency fund, wasn't it? It was amazing that you had the margin in your life to buffer that, un, uh, that unforeseen expense. You're like, man, I'm glad I had that. And you're not thrown into a wreck. That's what wisdom does for us. Wisdom is that buffer. So we, when we run into the things of life, you're like, man, I'm so glad that I have this wisdom that God gave me so that I can navigate this situation. It's a beautiful buffer that we have in the, in the things of life because life is unpredictable. Verses 13 and 14, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what God has made crooked? Did that stick out to anybody when I read it the first time? Show of hands. Did anybody go, that, yeah, going, what's that? Right? Crooked doesn't mean evil. I found this on the web. You did. That was a little bit crooked. Uh, wasn't expecting that. My watch talking to me. Who can make straight what God has made crooked? It's not evil, it's just your life isn't linear. Right? Does your life always go up and to the right? Is that how your life works? You have a plan and it went exactly to plan? No. Your life has detours, delays, Right? Setbacks, waiting rooms, feeling like you get stalled out, feeling like God has called you to something but you can't get there yet. You ever had those moments? I had a wise pastor one time when I was in the waiting room of God when he just had me like in a holding pattern and I really wanted to go do something but I just really feel like I couldn't at the moment. I had a wise pastor say, when you're in the waiting room of life, God wants to do something in you before he does something through you. God wants to do something in you before he does something through you. That there's this, there's this idea that God is deepening your character, deepening your trust, deepening what it is that he wants so that when you step out, when you step into those purposes that God has called you, you have a reservoir to draw upon. You have wisdom, you have knowledge, you have depth of character, you have maturity. And some of you are stuck in this holding pattern right now and some of you, it's been years that you've been stuck in this holding pattern. You're like, why, Lord, why? It's because God is producing something in you. And so ask him, Lord, what are you teaching me now, today, in this moment? Not in the latter days, but today. Have you considered that just because something isn't going your way, that maybe God is not punishing you? And maybe God is exactly right next to you, but he's producing something in you? Verses 15 to 18. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. He sees injustices. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? That's an odd phrase. Be not overly wise. Be not overly righteous. Like, 
Why would God say that? Isn't he all concerned about holiness and righteousness and living for him? Isn't that what the whole thing is? And it's like, yes, but be not overly righteous. Because God is so smart, he knows the human heart, and he knows what we do. This is what happens. Often what happens when we try to live right for God, we start to follow him, and then we put practices in our life so that we could follow him. And so we go, I'm going to get up every morning and I'm going to read my Bible every morning and I'm going to pray this amount of time and it's really good for us. And we start to love God more. But then what happens is we start to look at other people and go, you know, they don't get up in the morning and read their Bible like I do or they don't pray as long as I do. And then you become overly righteous. Another way of saying this is self-righteous. And there's nothing more annoying than being around self-righteousness or having it in you. He says, don't be self-righteous. Why destroy yourself? But he also knows the human heart. So he gives us verse 17, because this is what happens. We go, oh, okay, I don't wanna be, I don't wanna be overly righteous. You're driving down the road, oh, overly righteous is a ditch. And you like pull all the way over into the other ditch, right? And he says, be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Like, don't do this. There's a ditch on either side. Walk the road that God has given you. Be not overly righteous, but don't, don't run off into stupidity and into sin. He says, don't, don't do that. There's a ditch on either side. Avoid, avoid these two extremes of legalism and licentiousness, this idea that you have license to do whatever you want. He says, no, take hold of this, that this comes out of the hand of God. Don't be a fool and don't be self-righteous. Verses 19 through 24. Wisdom gives strength to the wise, man more than 10 rulers who are in a city. Wisdom is powerful. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Also remember that. That you are not completely without fault. And you know what? Neither am I. Do not take to heart all the things that people say. Isn't this amazing? This was written before social media. Okay? Like there's wisdom here, isn't there? Don't take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Now, if you have a servant here, there's a chance that they're not always happy with you, okay? So that's part of it. If you have a servant, you know, give them some space. Because what happens is if we listen to everything, we're taking everything to heart, we're listening to all the feedback, all the things of all the people are saying, right? And, and some people don't have your good in mind, right? They, you're just listening to everything and then suddenly you're gonna hear some people cursing you. Maybe you're, maybe you're a boss and you walk in and you hear your employees griping about it, right? Like you have those moments. He says, don't listen to everything, guys. And then he says, your heart knows, <laughs> you know, your heart knows that, there, that many times you yourself have cursed others. Like, before you are really quick to judge that person complaining about you, let's think about how many times you've complained about others. It says, your heart knows. Your heart knows. What he's saying is what we need to develop in our life is a tough skin and a soft heart to show grace to one another 
to have tough skin, to not let everything get to us, but a soft heart knowing that we extend grace and mercy. Because here's what happens. This is the worldly way of doing things. We get a thin skin and a hard heart. And we're overly sensitive and we don't care about the needs of others. What God calls us to is developing a bit of a thick skin, not listening to everything to keep moving forward, to keep your eye on the prize, but also have a soft heart and be compassionate and gracious because other people are sinning and you yourself sin. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been far off is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find out? To gain wisdom is an ever continuing pursuit. That wisdom has tremendous depth to it. And then verses 25 through 29, which is probably the most puzzling of it all. Verse 26, and I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. What is he talking about here? Well, first things you need to know about the Bible and the preacher who wrote the Bible, they're not misogynistic, nor are they chauvinists. There's many examples in the Bible of women who are exemplary. But in wisdom literature, what happens is wisdom and folly are both personified as a woman. Like it says, Lady Wisdom stands in the street, right? And the female foolish harlot, this, this woman, what he's talking about is lust. Lust is like their heart is snares and nets and their hands are fetters. Fetters are chains. They're like handcuffs. They, they wrap you up. And if you've ever been caught up in lust, it's like a net. It's like chains. It starts to bind you up and wrap tight around you and you feel like you can't get loose. He says, it is better to avoid her and to escape her. And then he says something interesting. He says in verse 28, he says, my soul which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I have not found, but a woman among all these I have not found. He's talking about wisdom and wise living and people who call him back to God and one in a thousand. So this is, this is kind of interesting. There's a few ways that we can read this, that he's found one man in a thousand, but he hasn't found any women. In chapter four, we saw that the preacher was pursuing pleasure. And so he surrounded himself with people who were going to encourage him in that pursuit. So he surrounded himself with many women. He surrounded himself with these people that were going to push him in the direction that he wanted to go. And he said, one out of a thousand, one good friend I had who warned me, but I didn't find any of the women that I had chosen. Well, yeah, because they were all women that were wanting to be there for his pleasure and not encouraging him to live a godly life. If this is indeed Solomon who wrote this, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines in his harem, which means he had a thousand women, like literally. And in 1 Kings eleven fourteen, it says that Solomon, who was the wisest man 
was led astray from God by his wives because he married all these women who were worshiping different gods and they all wanted to worship their own gods and they all wanted him to be there with them while they were worshiping these gods. And so as he had all these women, none of whom honored the Lord, he was going to this altar to altar to altar and God, uh, he had these, these, these wives and, and stuff had led his heart away from God and it led to his ultimate downfall. But also we could see something really amazing in all of this. And we could see something deeper in this. In verse 20, it says that there, nobody is without sin, right? We talked about that. Nobody's without sin. But there is one. There actually is one. Out of all the men and women, there was one. His name was Jesus. He alone is righteous. Let this verse remind us that there is one, the God-man, Jesus. And in verse 29, he concludes this chapter by saying, this is, what I've, this is what I've learned out of all of this. God made us upright, but mankind looks for all these kinds of schemes. God made us perfect in the garden. Adam and Eve made us perfect what was one of the first things that we did as humankind? Figured out a way to be our own God. Came up with a scheme. We sought out a way because we thought that God was holding out on us. We thought that God was holding out on us, so we became our own gods. We said, I want this, I want this, you can't have this. And you know what? Human beings have been doing this since that time. We always come up with our own schemes. The idea of going, God, you can't have this. God, I got this part. God, did you really say? God, I don't agree with you on this, so I think I'm just going to do things on my own. Thank you very much. We treat prayer requests as a ways to gossip. Did you hear about so-and-so? It's a scheme. It says God created us in his image. Male and female, he created us but we've come up with our own ways to try to avoid God. That is the reality of the human condition. God speaks to all of life, all of it, and the wise person listens. So you're like, well, how do I be wise? In James chapter one, verse five, it says, if we lack wisdom, you know what we should do? Ask for it. And God gives it to us without finding fault, which means he doesn't have to qualify it. So if we, if we lack wisdom, we should ask for wisdom. Proverbs chapter one, verse 20 says, lady wisdom stands in the street and offers her value freely. It, wisdom is around us and through the scriptures. And you might be thinking, well, what happens with the fact that I've made a lot of really bad decisions and I've lived very foolishly up to this point? What do I do now? I've already, I've already messed up my life, so what do I do about that? And I would have two pieces of advice. Number one, right now is always the right time to do the right thing. Right now is always the right time to do the right thing. So whatever was in your past, what are you going to do now? And two, 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
Who's the he? That's Jesus. Jesus is alive, ruling, and reigning today. He lived the life that you could not live, but need to, that of perfection. He died the death that you and I deserve, but won't, because he paid for it in full. And he rose from the dead and he's ruling and reigning today and he can forgive you of all unrighteousness, of all past sins, of all the junk, of all the things, of all the baggage. He can forgive it, confess it, bring it to him, ask him to forgive you and see what he does with it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God is speaking Are you listening? Let's pray.